You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another season of the Real Estate Entrepreneur. So season three, you guys have heard the first two seasons. I think we're right at 50 episodes. I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. Because John and I are going to take it up a notch. He's going to be our first episode on season three. And I think we hit 25, 30,000 downloads in those first two seasons. So thank you guys for all your support. The podcast is nine months old, but we're already jumping into season three and we're going to dive in today. So I start off each episode with a quote and then I'll make an introduction to my guest today. So the quote is, worthwhile goals require stretching beyond your comfort zones. In order for you to achieve even greater success in anything, you must become familiar with our uncomfortable world for it to be the clue that growth and movement are close at hand. So that just means you got to get okay and be okay with being outside those comfort zones. And that is by Cliff Peretti. John Kasman is a real estate entrepreneur who has partnered with busy professionals to invest in almost $90 million worth of apartments. John hosts the Target Market Insights podcast where he covers multifamily and marketing insights. In addition, he is a co-creator of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit, a no-pitch event to connect like-minded investors. With a background in marketing, he's overseen campaigns from General Motors, Nike, Coors Light, amongst others. John was even recognized by the Black Enterprise Magazine as one of the top executives in advertising and marketing. Welcome him to the show today for our season three opener. Absolutely. Terrence, listen, thank you for having me on the show today. I'm really happy to be here. You got a great story yourself. So I'm uh, humbled to be here and hopefully we can share some insights that can help people go from where they're at today, get the knowledge that they need to take their investment to the next level. Yeah, I think, you know, this is kind of something I'm going to veer off real quick because it's important. I remember I didn't really understand representation until I had kids and now I have an 11 year old, a seven year old and a five year old. And I really never just, I never thought about it. You know, I just, you just grind, you grow up, but it's important for diversity, inclusion, and people to see people that look like themselves or look like other ethnicities doing things that usually you don't see. And so I just want to encourage you, man, for what you're doing, you're encouraging a lot of people you're inspiring a lot of people and to keep going. And tell me real quick, what does that mean to you? Well, I, I appreciate it. You know, and I, I think you're spot on. You know, I, I worked in corporate America for 15 years doing marketing and advertising for big brands like Nike, Coors Light, Mountain Dew and others. And a lot of the work I did, especially the back half of that was working on multicultural programs and trying to push to clients why it was so important to make sure that they represented a diverse audience. And in a lot of cases, an African-American consumer, because it, it is hard when you don't see yourself in, in different facets, whether it's in, you know, the, the corporate world, whether it is in, you know, marketing or campaigns, whether it's in movies, television, music, whatever, you know, we have a way of shaping people's perceptions. And like I have a, a movie, this is going a little far off script here, but my favorite movie is The Last Dragon. And it's been a favorite movie of mine since I was a little kid. And I, I was talking to my wife about it. And I didn't realize why it was my favorite movie until I was a, you know, probably about seven, eight years ago. And when I understood the backstory of this was really the first black superhero movie 
with The Last Dragon being in Kung Fu and, you know, all of that, that helped me understand why I connected is because I probably hadn't seen it before. You think about that representation and just the way it allows you to shape and to dream and believe. I think that's really key for people. So for me, when it comes to real estate investing, I think the easy way to do it is to, you know, invest in smaller properties, stack your bread, make your money, you know, and hoard the information to yourself, be quiet, hustle quietly, all that kind of stuff, right? Do your thing and be good. And what I found is as I was starting to figure some of this stuff out, buying a two-unit building, a three-unit building, an eight-unit building, flipping a couple projects, as I started to scale, I was faced with the dilemma of, do I stay on this course, doing smaller deals that I could do by myself and take a longer time doing it? Or do I think about partnering with other people, you know, opening myself up and, you know, there's some challenges and concerns that come with that. But ultimately what swayed me was recognizing the impact that I could have on other people, you know, by helping them, by showing people, you know, what I was doing, what I had learned by, you know, making myself available, because as you alluded to, there weren't a lot of people who look like me doing this. And I think when you think about buying apartment buildings, and that's pretty much what I focus on is buying apartment buildings. I'm not a kid who grew up with a lot of money. You know, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon and I didn't know anybody who was buying apartment buildings. So to sit here and say, hey, we've invested in over a thousand units is kind of wild. Mm -hmm. So for me to be able to share that journey and help people understand that when you read these books and the books that I read and go to the meetup groups and all of that, and you hear people talk about these wild, fantastical things about investing in a thousand units. And, you know, your first deal could be a hundred plus unit apartment building like that just sounds crazy and wild. Mm -hmm. And I want to break it down. So it's attainable for people. And I've been blessed to, you know, be able to do that, to connect with people and to share a little bit of a little bit of that journey. Love it. Well, that segues right into, we spend like the first 30 seconds or you know, just tell me a little bit about your background, your story and how you got to real estate. And then we're going to jump into a new segment that I'm excited to to throw to you. Yeah. I mean, you know, I talked about my background in corporate marketing. So to give you a little more context, you know, I was at General Motors in Detroit working in the automotive industry and that advertising when we went into bankruptcy. So back in 2008, 2009, that's where I was. And I watched people who were lifers people who had dedicated their entire corporate careers to working for this company. And it wasn't just that company, but anybody at that time. There were a lot of layoffs going on across the country. And when I watched that happen firsthand, I realized that, you know, there is no such thing as a, as a safe job. Any job, I don't care how good you are at your job, at any moment, the politics kick in, the budget kicks in, and you could just be on the out. So I started to really have an urge to invest coming out of that. I ended up moving to Chicago, started with a house hack, ended up scaling from there. So for me, it was really about providing options for my family and not solely relying on a W-2 job. And that's what got me into real estate. Love it, brother. And I think we all kind of get thrust into it. And instead of us cowering in that moment, you know, the word that I, that I think about is courage you know, the courage to step out in faith and to believe in yourself or believe in your ability to find a way. And I tell people all the time, real estate entrepreneur, the word entrepreneur in, in, in a gist is it's someone who's willing to put up money to take more than normal financial risk. 
If you Google entrepreneur, just take the real estate out, just entrepreneur, that's the meaning. So that means we're willing to take more than normal financial risk or more than normal risk. And you did that, man. And so I appreciate you, bro, for setting that path. So I got a new section. We're going to call it coming in hot. So like it's like boom, 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 right? Um, it's rapid fire questions. It's five questions in one sentence or one word. How would you answer? So you ready, brother? Let's go. All right. So coming in hot. Number one, college degree or no college degree? Degree. All right. What was your greatest challenge as a child? I suffered from asthma. So just health issues and overcoming the, the things that are tied to that. Yep. What was your first attempt at entrepreneurship? <laughs> uh, I was a, a, a young teen and this probably is not legal, but we, uh, <laughs> my stepmother came across some latex gloves. All right. So when I, I drove around, it was a box of 60 gloves and we drove around the city, taking them to beauty salons and I would sell them box by box to the, you know, the stylist. And I sold them all off and I really learned business because I, you know, I sold 60 boxes for $3 each, $180. We were supposed to split it. I thought I just made $90, 180 divided by two, half to my stepmother, half to me. And we got into it and, you know, she's like, nope, I, I put up the first money. So the 60 goes to me, replenishing the the, the, the the product. I drove around, so I need to take that for gas, expenses, <laughs> and car maintenance. I did this. It was my idea. By the end of this, man, I got $30. And I was like, this is bullshit. You know, and uh, I'm like, I, I quit. I said, you can't do this without me. I quit. I'll take my $30 and I quit. So that was it. <laughs> that was a good lesson, though. There's experience. Yeah, and I don't even know if I was 13, man. I might have been like 10 or 11. So, yep, yep. All right. So what's the worst real estate or entrepreneurial advice you've ever gotten from somebody? The worst advice. Take it till you make it. Uh, <laughs> that's good. And who is the one person that made the biggest impact on your career? Investing wise? Just on your career. Who's the one person that made the biggest impact on you? Man, that's a tough one. So many people, man. I, I would go with my grandmother. My grandmother's just the person who, you know, just blindly believes in you for anything. And just, you know, if you tell her you can fly, she'll probably help you make some wings. So, <laughs> uh, I think having somebody who truly and genuinely believes in you and helps you build up your confidence, even when the evidence isn't there to support it, it is it's good for you to build up that, you know, that that confidence in yourself. Love it, bro. Great job, man. Great job on the coming in hot section. And I think people probably like, why does a college degree? Because I want people to know whether you have a college degree or you don't, it doesn't matter. Find a way to be successful. If you got it, great. If you don't, great. So, no, that's yeah. And, and I mean, if we got a second, I mean, I, I wanted to keep it quick, but, you know, it all depends on the person. I, the reason I say college degree is because most people don't really know themselves at that age. Mm -hmm. And if you have a degree, you have more options. And that's really the only reason I, I say that. It doesn't yeah. mean, hey, you're going to go off and do something. The people who are extremely and immensely successful without a degree, but, you know, for, for especially if you're a, a person who doesn't have as many options, you need to take away as many barriers and give yourself as many options as possible. So that's the only reason I say you should get a degree. Yep. And that's one of my quotes. A person with options is a person with power. Person with options is a person with power. All right, so we're going to dive into some more questions, man. Among new real estate entrepreneurs that are patient and willing to do the work, and that's an important part because everybody wants it right now, what are the top three things they should be doing right now? 
Working on their network. First and foremost, when I say network, I mean your immediate circle. Who are you spending the most time around? I'm not saying change your friends, change your family. You can't really do that, but you don't have to spend as much time around people who are draining you. Find people who are inspiring you, who understand what it is you're trying to do, who are willing to go attend some events with you, who, you know, just just have a shared vision and spend the time with the right people. So that's uh, the first thing is just really understanding your space and your mental and networking with the right people. The second thing is educating yourself. You know, are you reading these books? Are you listening to these podcasts? Would you listen to this? So that's a great first step. Are you attending events? Are you surrounding yourself with people, you know, who are helping you grow from an educational standpoint? You know, maybe you're at a point where you need a mentor or a coach, you know, so think about that, but really just continue to educate yourself to remove those obstacles. And then a third thing is just taking action, whatever the action is. Don't tell me, you know, you want to be a real estate investor, but you're not looking at deals. Mm -hmm. You're not making offers. I mean, being a real estate investor is actually really simple. It's a matter of owning or investing in real estate. And in order to do that, you need to find properties to put an offer in on, mm -hmm. right? You know, everything else is, yeah, it helps you get better and better and all that stuff. But if you're not evaluating deals, looking at properties, putting in offers, you're not really investing. So make sure you're doing those things, you know, and don't get so caught up in everything else. So keep it simple. Focus on your network. Make sure you're building your education and look at deals and put in offers. Love it. Love it, man. Great answers. So let's dive into multifamily, bro. So you started off with a couple units. Walk me through that. Tell me what you're thinking about. If you were going to coach me on how to invest in apartments and, you know, they have the syndication, they have the multifamily, small apartment, like just kind of walk me through that segment and just give me some wisdom there on what you would tell me to do as a new multifamily investor. Well, the thing that I love about multifamily is it's actually pretty diverse. There's a lot of ways to invest in multifamily. Let me give you some context. The first thing I would say to answer your question is I'd want to understand your home life. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your current situation? Are you open to a house hack, for instance? A house hack is when you live in a property, ideally a two to four unit. You live in one unit, you rent out the other units. That's exactly how I started. I bought a duplex, lived in one unit, rented out the other. And that allowed my wife and I to create some cash flow. We reduced our expenses, right? So I was renting before that. So I went from renting for $1,500 a month to basically paying about seven or $800 a month out of pocket because the first floor resident was paying for the bulk of the mortgage, right? And the bulk of the expenses. Mm -hmm. So now not only did I reduce my expenses, but I'm building equity. Mm -hmm. And this was in 2012. So what happened? Well, the market went up. So that property went up in values. When I refinanced, I was able to pull out a bunch of equity, mm -hmm. right? So that's an easy way to get started right away. Now you might say, hey, John, I got a, I got a house already. I'm not trying to go back to you know, living like I'm in an apartment. That's cool. So now you got to look at your time. Do you want to manage properties yourself? Do you want to get that sweat equity? Or do you just want to put your capital to work? Mm -hmm. Do you have the capital to go ahead and invest? If you have the money, if you got 50K lying around, if you're an accredited investor or you got more resources and you feel comfortable with investing, I would say consider either doing a JV deal where you're more passive, let somebody else do the work, or invest in a syndication deal as a limited partner. That way you can put your money to work. You get the benefits of being a real estate investor without the headaches of being a landlord. So it really depends on you, where you're at, how much time do you have available to you? How demanding is your job? 
What are your real priorities? I think people get mixed up, man. They feel like they want to invest in real estate. They want to invest, but they don't realize that we use the word invest and that doesn't just mean money sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the time to go out and basically be a landlord or a property manager and paint units and all of that, you need to invest in a way that's smart. Because if you're doing all this for financial freedom, but you're spending all your nights and weekends at the property and you got little kids and you're not with your little kids because you're trying to build up this real estate business so you could be with your little kids. Yep. Like it just doesn't make any sense. Like you have to prioritize your priorities. And I'm going to tell you what happened for me is I bought a three unit building. I'm saying uh, my wife and I bought this three unit building. And I remember distinctly, I got a call to paint the unit for a unit term. It was higher than I wanted to pay. I'm like, y'all crazy. I ain't paying that kind of money. I'll do it. <laughs> and I went over on a Saturday and I painted the unit myself. Well, you got to scrub the walls. I had to patch up holes first. I had to let that dry. You know, I had to do everything to prime the walls. I do a layer of primer. I had to do the trim. I did the first coat of paint, second coat of paint. And I was there for eight hours on a Saturday. My wife took my oldest son to the park. And she's texting me pictures of them playing at the park. And I remember just sitting there waiting, literally waiting on paint to dry. Yep. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, what are you giving up? This is how you decided to spend just Saturday because you were too cheap to pay these people to come do this. So instead you decided to work this part-time job and you wanted to work an eight hour shift on a Saturday because you felt like the money was too much and it made me really reprioritize. And I had to stop looking at it just from a financial standpoint and really look at the time commitment because the whole point of me doing this well, so I had the financial flexibility to spend time with my family. Well, my family's at the park and I'm sitting in this hot ass apartment trying to paint. So that really helped me shift my mindset. And I would tell other people not to make that same mistake. You know, if you are investing to spend more time with your family, if you are investing for the return, then do it the right way where you put your money to work and that's it. Let the money do the work. Yep. If you're, you know, you 21 years old, you got plenty of free time. You got some sweat equity by all means going there be the manager, be the landlord, paint those units, do your thing. If you don't have the money to, to, to hire somebody or pay it, I get it. You got to make sacrifices, but just be mindful of the way you invest as opposed to simply buying something and running it. Like if you got money, don't get a second part-time job. If that's not really what you're trying to sign up. Yep. No, I love it. I love it. So when you're looking at now you've made that shift mentally, you know what you're trying to accomplish multifamily on us. What are those kind of metrics that you look for on a multifamily when you're underwriting a deal? First off, how do you, in general terms, how do you underwrite a property? And then what are those key metrics that you're looking for when you're looking at multifamily? Yeah. So there's, for the sake of keeping things simple, let's yep. just say there's three different types of multifamily deals we look at, right? Yep. One is going to be called a stabilized deal. And what that means is, hey, the properties are performing well. If you buy it, you're basically going to buy it for what it's doing today. And you just want to kind of keep that going. You know, it'll probably increase in rents over time, but you're buying what you see today. It's a nice property doing well. You're going to buy it based on that. So that's a stabilized property. Mm -hmm. Okay. The next thing is a value add property. And what that means is, hey, the property is performing well today, but there's a missed opportunity that's not being captured. Maybe if we renovated the units, we could increase rents by $200. 
Maybe, you know, there's some amenities we can add to the property. Maybe we could fix up the outside. There's different things we could do to make more money. Think about that, like flipping the house, right? Mm -hmm. You got a house. It's an okay house. But if you went in there, really renovated or did it nicely, it could be worth a lot more money. So value add is another strategy. And then a third strategy is more of a distressed. Mm -hmm. So in this case, on a distressed property, it's not doing well. It's not making money today. It's barely, you know, it's barely making money if it's making any money, but you got to spend a lot of energy to turn this around. So this is more like a a full on renovation. You coming in, you got the hammers out there. You got to get your permits. You got to do a lot of work for a distressed property. So those are three different types of multifamily properties. We like to focus on value add. We do a little bit of stabilize, but for the most part, we focus on value add. So I want something that's making money day one, but we could come in, make some adjustments to the business strategy, whether that's through renovations or adding some amenities and have it make more money. Mm -hmm. So because of that, what I'm always looking for when I'm underwriting a deal is I'm trying to understand the current performance of the property and I'm trying to project the upside. How much money could we make on a property like this? If we were to do X, Y, and Z to the property, what will it be worth at that point? So that's our process is just going in there, looking at what exists today and then trying to figure out what's the best business plan for this property. Love it. Love it, man. Real quick on the distressed asset. Is there a certain percentage of vacancy that you, when you see it's below 50% or it's below 75%, you put it in one of these categories? Is there? 85, yeah. 85% or lower is typically considered distressed by a lot of lenders. Now, it depends if it's fluctuating, right? If it's going from 85 to 90, I don't, I wouldn't consider that distressed. But if it's at 70%, it's been, you know, at 70% for the last, you know, two years, then a lot of lenders won't won't lend on that. So that's what it really comes down to is there's agency debt, there's, you know, different types of loans out there, but lenders are going to look at the current occupancy, the rent roll, they call it the T12, basically the the financial performance of the property. And if it's, if the performance of occupancy has been less than 80 or 85%, a lot of the lenders who give the best terms, they won't, they won't touch that. And they see it as a distressed property. They'll consider it distressed. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I wanted to get that on record. I get that question a lot. And there's two more random questions in multifamily that I get. And then we'll jump back in is people want to know what is a T12, which you and I do know what it is, but I want to get it on record. And then MES debt is another thing that people ask me, what is MES debt and what is a T12? So what's your wisdom on that? So the the T and T12 stands for trailing and a a T12 is the trailing 12 months. So think about it like this. A lot of times you might hear income statement, but the income statements are usually based on the year, right? So I'll give you my 2020 income statement on a trailing 12, though, that's going to be constantly moving because, well, we just got a new month. So the trailing 12 will take the last month and the previous 11 months before that. And you'll pull that to see how the property is performing. So that's just what a T12 is. You'll also see a T3 or T6 sometimes, depending on, you know, if you're working with different banks or different people, they'll want to see kind of how the property is, is, you know, what the trajectory is of a property. On the MES debt, that's typically when you have more than one loan, just to keep this kind of simple, right? You have your primary loan, which might be for say 75% of the property. And then you get a secondary loan that has some you know, different terms to it, but a secondary loan might be for another five or 10% of the, of the equity. So it'll come on, on top. And it's, it's, it's usually junior, it's a junior loan to that primary loan. 
it can get a little tricky and who accepts it and all of that kind of stuff. But typically a MESDET is two different loans that are stacked on there. And that second loan has more of a junior position to that senior loan. Perfect, bro. I wouldn't have explained it any better and very similar because it's funny because I had a conversation about multifamily and investing and a lot of the things that you're saying, I literally just went over this this morning with my team. So it's just cool to know uh, that like minds think alike for sure. Yeah, that's great, man. So pivoting now, what do you think people aren't paying enough attention to in the real estate market right now? What's that thing that you're like, nobody's paying attention to this. What would that be? I mean, I think overall in the real estate market, it's stepping back, right? So I spend all that time in corporate America and we always look for trends Mm -hmm. and not trends in a sense of being trendy, but trends in a sense of what is, where are the shifts happening? What should we be paying more attention to? And I think there are a couple of trends that are taking place. One, people keep saying the market's hot, market's hot, and they're absolutely right. That doesn't mean it's got to cool off though. What ends up happening is, and and think about it like this, let's keep this super simple. How much was gas 50 years ago, a gallon of gas? How much was gas 30 years ago? How much was gas 10 years ago? Just because gas is higher and more expensive today doesn't mean it's about to go backwards. If you're waiting on gas to be a dollar a gallon, you're going to be waiting until you die. It's never going back to that. You know, and if it does, it's going to take something pretty drastic, right? It's basically going to take a complete reliance or a complete move away from, from, from gas and oil. In the same way, when you think of real estate and real estate valuations and prices, people are like, oh, it's too hot. I'm away for it to cool off. Listen, there are always going to be little dips here and there, but the fundamentals of a market is what you have to pay attention to. And there's more capital chasing real estate deals today because it's easier. We have a global economy now. It's not just U.S. investors. We have the Internet, which has democratized information. You can listen to this podcast and learn about investing in multifamily. You couldn't do that 15, 20 years ago. You couldn't go on YouTube 20 years ago and go to YouTube University and learn some of these things. You don't have as many books. You didn't have all of that stuff, right? You really had to commit to this idea before. You didn't have the Jobs Act, which made it easier to pool resources together where I could syndicate a deal and connect with investors I've never met in person, but they heard me on a show or whatever the case may be, came to my website, set up some time to talk to me and decided they wanted to invest in my, my future deals. Like, you didn't have you didn't have it as easy as we have it now to make these deals happen. So because of that, you have higher demand. Mm-hmm. The average American now has access to change their family's financial future. In the past, you really didn't. You didn't have the ability to get into some of these kind of deals. Now you do. Yep. So that demand is global. We have people in China and France and Canada and Australia. And these people are looking to park their money in secured U.S. real estate assets as well. So because of that, I tell people who are complaining that the market's hot and it's going to go back, well, the, the market is too broad. What are we talking about? When you talk about commercial and large commercial property, I mean, rich people are still rich and they're trying to stay rich and they like commercial U.S. real estate. And that's people across the country and more people want to get rich. And as you have other revenue sources and other tools, 
I think you're going to continue to see that demand. Now, will it slow down? I'm sure at some point it will, but just assuming that it's overheated without understanding the market conditions that have driven demand, I just think it's silly. It, 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 it equates to assuming that gas or milk is going to shoot back down to 50 cents just because it's more than what it used to be. Like, I, I just don't think there's any logic behind that. No, that's good. That's good. I think Robert Kiyosaki talks about in his book, The Industrial Age, in which our economy was built on Henry Ford model and Ford and all that stuff. But now we're in the information age. And so it's a whole nother economy and you hit it on the head. So I have three questions that I'm going to bunch together and we'll just go boom, boom, boom on those. So what's your secret to good time management? Because I think all real estate entrepreneurs need to understand time management. What would you say that is? that everyone needs to know about it, like something that you learned or it was like a, a pebble in your shoe that helped you figure out time management? I think you have to, first of all, prioritize the important work, not just the urgent work. Mm. You know, there's a lot of things that feel urgent and are urgent, but not important, yeah. right? A lot of documents you got to send over for this loan or whatever, right? I mean, it's always urgent. People are always going to be hitting you up with something they need right now. <laughs> so... If you can focus on a work that's important and not urgent, that's going to help you. One tactic to help you do that is to figure out what takes up the bulk of your time and is not really important. You know, maybe it's important, but again, it doesn't help you grow to the extent that you're looking to grow, but it takes up a lot of your time. It's a time suck and delegate that, you know, whether it is tasks like timesheets or you know, show notes. If you got a podcast like this, like editing the show, right? Whatever it is in your business, you know, uh, following up or cold calling, whatever it is that takes up a lot of time and you can delegate, figure out how to delegate those things, especially the things you don't enjoy. Yeah, It takes up a lot of your time and you don't enjoy it. And it's not a revenue generating activity. Delegate that. And I think if you can do those things, you'll find yourself with much more time. You can be more creative. You can find ways to be more productive. And I think ultimately you'll thank yourself for spending whatever money or resources you need to delegate those tasks that you don't enjoy, take up a lot of time and don't really put money in your pocket. Love it. Working on your business versus working in your business and then income producing versus non-income producing. So that's good, bro. All right. Next question. What's your secret to good branding? Be honest, you know, be yourself. And we talked about the fake it till you make it thing before. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you need to tell everybody everything, but, you know, represent yourself, put your best foot forward, be consistent and let people get to know you. And uh, I think if you do those things, you do it consistently, show up day in, day out, you're going to develop a brand and a reputation that people want to do business with you. That's true. Whether you are, you know, Nike, Starbucks or an aspiring real estate entrepreneur. Love it. And then how do you find talent, bro? Like, what are you using to build your organization? Because like you said earlier, it's about scale. It's about growth. It's about putting the right people around you. What's your, what's your hack to finding talented people? Yeah, man. I think part of it is just asking for referrals. If you see something you like, ask people. I mean, I remember I, one of the first really good hires I made was I saw somebody post something on social media. I really liked what I saw and I reached out to him and said, Hey man, I love that post. Who did your graphics? Who designed it? Who's doing your social? And he was like, I don't, you know, my assistant does it. Well, I reached out to his assistant. His assistant was like, actually this person does it. (laughs) So I got in touch with that person and that person ended up taking over my social and she ran my social for like two years. 
So, you know, I think you got to network. You see something you like, don't be afraid to reach out to that person and say, hey, man, I like your stuff. Would you mind sharing the contact or at least a resource of how I could get, you know, a similar quality uh, production? So I'm actually getting ready to add a marketing manager to my team. And I reached out to a guy who was one of my mentors and I said, hey, how'd you find your marketing manager? He's like, yo, did this. I actually posted on Indeed. Here's the job description I did. Here's, the, you know, talk to my assistant who actually managed the process. And we just had a whole conversation. She walked me through everything she did and here's what to look out for. And here's how to, you know, word your listing so that you get the right candidates. But yeah, you got to talk to people. You know, if you don't know, if you see people who got what you like, ask them. Yeah. Put yourself out there. Yeah. I don't mind hitting people up, you know, because my whole life being an athlete, people always hit me up, you know, asking for <laughs> stuff. So I'm like, well, it was my it's my turn to ask people for stuff. All right. What's the one tech or service that you see everybody using in the upcoming year? Like what's a, a tech or an app or something that you like, dude, people, everybody's going to be using this. Oh, man. I mean, I probably would say Calendly, but I feel like people have already gotten hip to it uh, over the last you know year and a half. So if you don't know what Calendly is, it's just a great it's a scheduling app where you don't have to keep going back and forth and saying, hey, yeah, let's grab, let's get together on Tuesday. It's like, look, man, here's my calendar. You pick a time that works for you and, and it's, all, it's automatically scheduled. Outside of that, I'm trying to think what I'm using right now. I mean, th- there's a lot of workflow apps, whether it's Monday, Slack, things of that Trello, there's a box. There's a lot of those kind of applications that are out there. I, I think that as we are you know, still in this remote working environment world where people are trying to manage and navigate conversations and projects. I think the project management tools and systems are going to continue to be used and leveraged by a lot of people. So that's something that, you know, I'd expect to continue to grow and even more so from outside of just the business world and seeing people do it more in the family calendar thing, right? So, you know, just texting back and forth with your wife about, hey, did you do this? Do you know your son has a game on Tuesday? But like maybe now using Slack or Slack-like tools to communicate kind of those quick hitting calendar updates. No, I love it. I always tell people, I encourage entrepreneurs, whatever you're doing to be successful in the business, take that home. It's like people want to be like, oh, well, I don't want to put my kids and my wife on my calendar. Why not? Like, I'm okay with it. Like my wife has a date day on Thursday and I, it's blocked out. So my assistant's not going to block over it. People aren't going to set appointments during that time. Cause I always say, if it's not on your calendar, it's not important. And if it's not on your calendar, it doesn't get done. So yeah, man, I think that's great wisdom. All right. So this is kind of a outside the box question, but what's the craziest story or something that's happened to you on a transaction? <laughs> Like, what's oh, the man, craziest the thing that's happened to you on a real estate transaction? Oh, man. I mean, I hope we can keep these to a minimum. <laughs> but, uh, what's that? Man, one? you know, we did it. We did it. We did a deal and I didn't have all the money in the bank account yet. You know, and it was we had one more like it was one large investor and I was waiting for this investor. And I was, you know, I was supposed to wire the money and we were getting down to the wire and literally. I think it was like 3.30 and I was still waiting for, I was in the bank parking lot, just like refreshing (laughs) to see if the money came because I was supposed to go in the bank and wire the rest of the funds. And I I think it literally came in around 3.40, you know, they cut the wires off at like 3.30 or something. So whatever it was, it was like 10 minutes before the wire cut off. No, before. So I just, but I was in a parking lot, like just sweating bullets. And then, like I said, I finally... Where I got the got got the money sent in there, 
went inside, made the wire and everything was good. But just, you know, sitting in the parking lot waiting because I'm like, dude, to, to have to tell a seller like, yeah, hey, sorry, didn't wire the funds. Like, I mean, it would have blew the whole thing up and could have could have had some massive ramifications. But we were able to make that happen. So no, no big issues there. It's funny how everything works out, man. But when you're in that moment, you think the world's going to end. So I'm glad that that money came through. So here's a section that we have. It's a new section as we get ready to go to our final questions. We call it the moonshot. And it's kind of like, our, you know, with cryptocurrency and everything and Tesla, just the crazy stuff that they're doing. But it's kind of like, what's that one moonshot that you have? Like, what's that one goal, dream, aspiration that you have in your mind that when you tell it to people, friends, family, they just look at you like, man, you're crazy. Like, what is that? Like, what's that like? Like real estate related or outside of real estate? Anything in your life. It's just like this crazy lofty like moonshot to the moon and back that that you kind of have in your heart. That when you tell somebody, they look at you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm trying to think because that, that could go a lot of different ways. So because, you know, some of the moonshot ideas I don't really share out loud. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. that's, part, that's, yeah. part, of the, that's yeah. part of the issue. Yeah. But but one of them is. You know, I really want to, I want to, I want to be able to run this business a hundred percent remotely from a different country. There you go. And like my boys are seven and five. So like, I think when the, when the youngest kind of goes off, my goal is like to live somewhere, I don't know, man, Tanzania, something like that yeah. and still run the business and still be as accessible, leveraging technology, you know, zoom and all this kind of stuff, but be able to literally travel the world and like get rid of my house like, like I'm, I want to sell the house. I want to sell a lot of my stuff in the States and just be like a nomad and still have the business still growing. It. I, I enjoy the work, but I don't want to have like the, the liabilities of the assets, right? I like the house, but I don't need it no more. Like yeah. when the kids go off, I want to just be able to just travel, be anywhere in the world and just pack, take my suitcase and decide when to go somewhere else. So you know, a lot of people who know me know I'm more of a homebody. So they're like, yeah, bro, I don't see that. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe you get an RV and travel or something like that. But uh, <laughs> but we'll see. No, I love it. That's a moonshot, bro. I mean, you're working from Tanzania or South Africa or somewhere. That's pretty cool. So you recommended a book. We have all our guests on the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast bring a book. Tell me about the book you recommended and why. All right, man. So I believe I gave Atomic Habits by James Clear. and. Atomic Habits is just a, it's a phenomenal book. And I think if you're at a point, whether you're a real estate investor now at the beginning of your career, the middle, trying to retire, ultimately we all have things we want to accomplish. And more importantly, we have a person, a vision for ourselves of who we want to be. And Atomic Habits really breaks down how to become the person you want to be. And the thing I love is, you know, I've read a ton of self-help books. I've read a ton of personal development books real estate, but all that stuff, right? This was the first book I've read where the information I was reading was immediately applicable. Mm. I don't mean like, hey, you know, John, just start positive thinking. No, I mean like, dude, like you can put this book down and in 10 seconds, apply it. So for me, that was really tangible. And it, it talked about, to give you a little context, if you're someone's trying to get in shape, well, you know, there's a whole process, right? To your diet, your workout routine, all that kind of stuff. No, he's like, you have to develop the habits of what someone healthy, let's say you want to be a runner. You have to develop the habits of what a runner would do. Well, what's the first thing a runner probably does? 
put on shoes, <laughs> put on running clothes. Like that's the habit. The habit's not actually running. You stack habits on top of that, but the first habit is putting on the shoes. That's the cue. That's the clothes, right? If you're working out, like the first thing is put on, put on the clothes, put on the shoes, whatever, right? For us as investors, the first thing might be, you know, sitting down, reaching out to a broker or underwriting a deal or whatever the case may be, right? But you've got to form those habits. And those habits are doing the things that the person you want to be would do and ask yourself, what would a real estate investor do today? A real estate investor would make an offer on a deal. A real estate investor would underwrite a deal. A real estate investor would call a broker. A real estate, you know, it's those habits that you're forming. It's not so much focused on the end game and the goal, the outcome of all these things, but it's focusing on kind of those steps that build you into this person. I, I just think it's it's a phenomenal book. It's great reads, great story. It's very applicable. So you should check out Atomic Habits by James Clear. Man. That's one of my books, and I'm up to 570 books in my library. I haven't read that one. I got it. I haven't read it. So You can read it, man. You'll love it. I'm gonna, I got three copies of it and the Audible. I'm going to dive into it. All right, brother. Well, thank you for being on the show, man. I want to give what's your final thought, and then how can people find you as we get ready to close? Final thought is, listen, man, I love doing these podcasts. And Terrence, you know, we had a great conversation today, but I want to tell people the most important takeaway. You got to take action. And action doesn't necessarily mean go buy something just because you listen to us talk, but what is the next step for you to move your investing journey forward? Take action. Reach out to Terrence. Reach out to me. So let us know you enjoyed the episode. You know, if you got a question, follow up, go post on a website, something. But you have to take action. Knowledge without action is not worth it. All right. You got to take the action. So make sure you do that. If you want to follow up with me, um, you have two ways. I have a sample deal package on my website. You can go to kasmancapital.com slash sample deal. You can download that, learn a little bit more about the way we look at deals, the way we put together our marketing package, and just learn like what you should be looking for in investment opportunities. Or if you're trying to lead your own deals, you know what kind of information do you need to share if you want to share this with somebody else and ask them to come work with you? So you can download that at chasmincapital.com slash sample deal. And I'll say too, if there's something specific on multifamily investing that you want to know more about or you want to talk to me about, just shoot me an email. Just put multifamily investing in the in the subject line. And you can shoot me an email at john at chasmincapital.com. There it is. Man, proud of you, brother. Thank you for your time, man. Appreciate you being on the show, man. And let's stay connected. Hopefully we can co-syndicate a deal or co-GP a deal in the future, bro. I love it, man. Definitely. Let's make sure we stay connected. And thank you again for having me on the show today. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com. 